My question is more of a strategy question, I guess. How do I know how much money to move into a Roth? I'd like to get some information, if I can, regarding donor-advised funds. When I wanted to retire and preserve my capital, I wanted to invest in options. Your Money, Your Wealth listeners, it's your turn. If you've got a burning money question, call 888-994-6257 for your chance to have Joe and Big Al answer it live during Your Money, Your Wealth. Whether it's about retirement, investing, Social Security, taxes, or preparing your portfolio for the inevitable market volatility, there's a pretty good chance these fellas can give you the insight that will help you make better money moves. That number again is 888-994-6257. Well, where was that extra fifty or $60,000 going before? And, and I really honestly, I mean, we had other expenses, obviously, and but I couldn't tell you exactly where it went, which seems crazy. But I just think just not being intentional. And it just that switch, just that investing first, making it a priority really allowed us to get aggressive and start reaching our goals. That's Jamila Souffrant from dot com. On today's Your Money, Your Wealth, she shares her journey to saving and investing $85,000 a year. I'm going to be taking some notes during this one. Plus, Big Al's got some financial planning tips for young investors, and the fellas debate the merits of buying your company's stock, whether or not your title has a C or a P in it. And interest rates are on the rise, so what does that mean for your bond portfolio? Let's find out. Here are the P and the C, Joe Anderson, CF and Big Al Clopine CPA. So this week, Joe, we had a couple things happen. We had the interest rates increase. Yeah, quarter pips. Yeah, so the uh, the feds, and they've been telling us that we're they're probably going to raise the rates about uh, three times this year. So this is perhaps the first of three. And of course... So what, it's six times since 15? Right, six times since, since 2015. And so the interest uh, benchmark interest rate range is now between a uh, percent and a half and 1.75%. It was basically nothing right. for a while. For, yes. And and remember, they were at one point talking about making it negative, Yep, which n- none of us really knew how that would work. Right. I mean, the foreign countries had negative interest rates. Right. Right. And so you look at, all right, well, people are buying safes, right? <laughs> it's cheaper to buy a safe. Yeah. Keep your money. In, you put your money in a bank, you have to pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> how much bank says, well, let's see, we're going to charge you a quarter point yeah, right. <laughs> to hold your money. Yeah, to keep it safe. <laughs> But I guess the thing is, uh, we, we have a new Fed uh, chairman, uh, Jerome Powell, and uh, uh, and I guess it's 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 worth noting that uh, our prior um, Fed chairman, Janet Yellen, uh, she she per- pursued a gradual rate increase strategy and kind of a choreographed sell-off of portfolio bonds. Remember, we bought all those bonds. Right, and, right, right, right. So you QE can't, one, two, three. Right, and that, that helped the economy, but then you can't just sell them all at once because that floods the, the bond market. So there, that was a very careful um, sell-off. And, and it, it's, I think, important to note that uh, Mr. Powell was among the governors that voted for that approach. So he'll probably just keep in line kind, with what Janet kind of yeah doing. kind of kind of keep the gradual rate increases so that it's not just too too much too quickly right and and just in case you 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 didn't take economics in high school or college <laughs> and I did but I I Forgot didn't do, most do of that it. well in it but what I do remember <laughs> is that interest rates uh, and uh, inflation are, are kind of opposite from each other. So, in other words, that's partly why they raise the interest rates is to keep inflation in bay. And if you're over 50, Joe, you're not over 50, but if you're over 50, you remember uh, inflation of 
14%, that was under the Jimmy Carter years, and, and we're trying to avoid that at all costs. So, so you raise interest rates. It, it kind of puts the brakes a little bit on the economy. Uh, and, then, and then, of course, there's another factor here, which is unemployment. So unemployment is, has been continuing to go down as a percentage uh, since the Great Recession. And at, and at a certain point, when unemployment is too low, the, government, the, the economy gets too juiced up and, and inflation comes. And so that's about as much as I know about economics. But and, that, I mean, then there's all sorts of pundits saying, well, it's under you know, employment because, you know, the older generations are not right. getting jobs, so they're just yeah. retiring. And the other thing they're saying is it's, well, we may have decent unemployment numbers, but people aren't getting increases in raises, so the, the, the wages haven't followed. Although, But then we had increase in wages, and then the market blows up. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, but then that had been true for maybe the last what, four, five, five years, five years yeah. until maybe last year or year before. I'm not sure when this flipped, but now there, we are seeing some wage increase. So we could get Chris Thornburg on, and he could explain this. <laughs> just, just tool, tool us. Uh, don't, don't take my word for it. <laughs> Economics, that's as much as I know. But I, I think that's right. I think what I said is basically true. Kind of. <laughs> well, if you think about it, it's like, all right, well, back in the Jimmy Carter days, yeah. but your interest rates were 18% as well. I know, well. right. My dad, I remember my dad getting a bank CD for 16%. Yeah. And he said, man, I should have... I got a four-year at 16%. Right, but and then your mortgage is 20. Right, that's right. My first mortgage was in 1985. It was 12.5%. And then I remember about two years later, two and a half years later, I learned this thing called refinancing. You oh. could actually refinance yeah, and lower your interest rate. How many years it took you to re... Couple years. Oh, I think you yeah. said twelve years no. later. <laughs> yeah, twelve years. I finally. Oh, what's the refinance? That's the foreign word. <laughs> no, it was a couple years later, and uh, I was shocked, Joe, that I could actually get an interest rate of ten percent. Right. That was that seemed unheard of. Of course, in my my I was in my twenties so in my young investment life, but uh, anyway, now people are getting in the threes and four percent. It's been going up. Now, the last time I looked, a thirty-year mortgage average was more like four and a half, and remember, it was like three and a half for a long time. Well, I think we're seeing a stronger economy. So, right um, before, it's like, all right, well, what they created a wealth effect too. I remember Larry Spudrow talking about this. Yeah, is that all right? You you flood and buy treasuries. Right. So when you buy things, right, the price goes up. So when you're buying a lot of things, the price goes up fairly high. Sure. And then with bonds, you know, interest rates and bond prices have an inverse relationship. Right. So as interest rates go down, bond prices historically go up. Yeah, and that, that's a hard thing for people to understand because bonds are interest-bearing investments. But Correct. The reason that happens is when you have a bond, it's a fixed interest. And, and if that interest rate is 3% and now rates have moved up to 4%, your 3% bond is not as valuable to the open market as it was before because they can you can get a new one for 4%. Right. So you have to sell your bond at a discount. And the longer the term, if it's a one-year, two-year, three-year ter- term, not that big a deal. But if it's a 30-year term, you're going to have to have a pretty good discount. That's why bond funds can actually go down in value. Now, what, what tends to happen when the, with the shorter-term bonds is they may temporarily go down, but then as the bonds are are redeeming and and and, and maturing, uh, new bonds are purchased by the funds at higher interest rates, and so it, it tends to balance out. But those long-term bond funds in in increasing interest rate environments are are a little tough. Right, you just have to understand what the heck you buy, because I think a lot of times people will analyze their bond funds. Let's say a normal you know four hundred one k investor, right, and they're getting closer to retirement, and they hear bonds are safe, 
And so they look at their overall portfolio and they've had a good run in the stock market over the last six, seven, eight, nine years. Right. And it's like, okay, well now I'm in my sixties. It's, I should tone down the risk because now I need to create income. Right. So they'll look at choices in their 401k plan. Right. And they'll say this bond fund over the last 10 years did 7%. Yeah. This bond fund did 4%. The other one did two. Right. And so most people will say, well, the one that did 7% must be a better investment. Uh, you know, the people running the fund must be more they, they educated or doing. smarter yeah. or they have the crystal right. ball than the bond fund that did 2% because, you know, 2%, that's, that's nothing. Right. But it's arithmetic. That's all it is. The 2% bond is not necessarily a bad investment. It's just a lot safer. Yeah, it's a different kind of investment. It's right. A- you're not looking at, you're not buying in the profits of the overall organization. What yeah. you're doing is you're lending your money to that organization and they're paying you an interest rate. So if you look at two, let's say if I look at a government treasury versus JC Pennies, right? Which is a stronger entity. Right. Right. And JC Pennies, okay, yeah, it's a nice company, but they're not that strong. I mean, yeah. they don't have a balance sheet of the U.S. government. Yeah, it's not the U.S. government, and, and JC Penney doesn't print their own money like exactly. the U.S. government does. Right? So and, you have a choice. You can say, all right, I can give my money to the U.S. government, or I can give it to a corporation that's not that great. Yeah. Which one would I rather do? Which one is going to be stronger where I can count on my interest? Well, of course, the U.S. government. So then, well, what does JC Penney's need to do? They need to increase the interest rate to entice us to purchase their bonds. Because there's more risk. There's and, more and risk. We saw that in a big way uh, several, a few years ago with Greece, companies in Greece. Puerto that, Rican yeah, and bonds. And Puerto Rico. Part, some of the Puerto Rican bonds were paying 25%. For because, like a day well, until they defaulted. Because then they defaulted, right? <laughs> right. So you got interest for a, a month or two, <laughs> yeah. but that was about it. And so, so yeah, it's, uh, it's not necessarily widely understood with bonds, but bonds are just simply a loan to an entity. Now, you can loan it to the U.S. government that prints its own money, or you can loan it to your neighbor that, that lost his finite, job. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, or whatever. Pieces. Right. And so, which is safer? So, you're gonna, if you're going to have the same chunk of money, you're going to want a higher interest rate from your unemployed neighbor because there's a lot more risk on your standpoint. Absolutely. And, but with these increases in interest rates, it's just the Fed fund rate. And so people then all say, all right, well, if the Fed's increasing races by 20, um, rates by 25 basis points, oh my gosh, you know. Well, n- no, it, it, it's a gradual process, as you alluded to earlier. Right. So, but you just want, maybe want to take a checkup to take, say, yeah. all right, well, what type yeah. of bonds do I own? Do yeah. I have longer term bonds? Do I have shorter term bonds? Do I have high credit quality bonds? Do I have lower credit quality bonds? Just take an inventory of what you have. You cannot analyze your bonds as you do stocks because you're not buying into the profits. You're just lending them money for a fixed interest rate. Right. So make sure, because as interest rates do go up, right, those bond prices will fluctuate a little bit. And then can you handle that risk? Or do you understand what's going on in your portfolio? I think is a is a, a, a better statement. I think most people don't really understand the, the correlations of certain asset classes and how they all work together. Because if I have longer term bonds and all of a sudden those bonds go down and all my stocks go down, then what, what's that diversified portfolio is, yeah. you know, the correlations are almost equal and everything is going down all at once. So uh, stay tuned. We'll see what happens with this crazy economy we live in. We happen to have a new video on this very topic. What happens to my bonds when interest rates go up? Visit the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com and click Ask Pure to learn more. That Learning Center is a great place to access white papers, articles, webinars, and hundreds of video clips on things like tax planning, investing, retirement planning, social security, estate planning, and small business strategies. 
Pretty much anything you need to know about your money is right there in the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Check it out. And if you can't find the answers to your questions, call Joe and Big Al at 888-994-6257. That's 888-994-6257. Alan, you know what time it is. It's time for a guest. We've got Jamila Soufrant on today's show. She's a certified financial education instructor. Joe, she's a podcaster, she's a blogger, she's a money coach, and most importantly, she's founder of Journey to Launch, a podcast where she shares her journey to reaching financial freedom and helps others do the same. Jamila, welcome to the show. Hey guys, thanks for having me. How are you doing, Jamila? This is awesome. Tell us about the genesis behind your podcast and in, in your mission in life here. Sure. So... Journey to Launch was born out of my desire to share my journey to launch to financial freedom. And initially, when I started, it was a blog, just sharing what I was doing, how I was saving my money, investing my money, and reaching my goals. And people started taking notice, and they wanted to understand and learn how to do the same, because my husband and I together were able to accomplish a lot. So in the past two years, we were able to save and invest $169,000, which is about almost half like our income over those two years. And, you know, before doing that, we weren't saving or investing a fraction of that. And so when I started joining to launch, it was initially just for me to share that with other people. And then I started to realize that, you know what, I want to bring this notion of financial freedom, financial independence to more people. You know, I want to help more people figure out how to do this. And that's when I kind of also switched it to be helping others, providing information so that they can launch to financial freedom too. Hey, so what triggered? So something must have happened. So you were saving a fraction of that, and then all of a sudden, you and your husband sat down and says, "Enough's enough." Now let's. Yeah, we we can save eighty five thousand a year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how, how, yeah, how start, did that happen? Let's start doing this. What I mean, let's. Yeah. Well, so actually, um, this is a little backstory. So in my twenties, when I first graduated from college, I always knew that I never really wanted to work for anyone for like the rest of my life. So I had this dream of retiring, not even retiring, just quitting my corporate job by 30. I knew that like at 22 when I graduated that I didn't want a boss forever. And, you know, I tried a couple things and it didn't work. I opened up a couple businesses and, you know, nothing seems to pan out because I thought the only way that you can do that to, you know, not work for someone else was to create some big business or the next Google or, you know, and I, and I wasn't able to do that. And so I kind of just resigned to a life of like what most people do and said, well, I guess I will have to work until I'm 65. And what happened was in my early 30s, so I was pregnant with my first son. And I never, like, let that dream go, but I just didn't know how to get there. And so I was pregnant with my first son. I have a pretty long commute. And I believe, you know, usually it's like an hour, hour and a half, one way. This time, because of some crazy traffic, it took me four hours <laughs> to oh, get home boy. and I was pregnant. And I remember I, it was just, devastating because I was, you know, I've, I've had those long commutes before where, you know, it was just like horrible traffic, but the fact that I was pregnant really just set me over the edge. So I remember having a breakdown in my car, a breakdown at home, saying to my husband, you know, I don't want to do this forever. Like I have to figure something out. And so it did take me a while after that, but what started to happen was I just started to look out for more resources and in, in ways in which I can figure out a way to just not have to work in something that I wasn't happy in forever. And it wasn't necessarily about the commute because I, I could also look for a job closer to where I live. It was more about feeling just kind of stuck and unhappy. And I knew I wasn't fulfilling my purpose. 
And I then stumbled upon like the personal finance blogs and podcasts and discovered this thing called financial independence where people were retiring early and they weren't doing it, you know, not not everyone has six figure or, you know, they weren't millionaires already. They were doing it on regular incomes. They were just very strategic about what they spent and how they invested. And I remember thinking, well, if someone out there can do this, surely I can figure out a way to create a plan to also do this. And I came home to my husband and I said, let's think of how we can also like make this happen. And that's basically like what we did. And, you know, my husband, for the most part, you know, he, this was all new to him. So I, for a while, I was listening to the podcast. I was reading the blog. And when I came home and told him about it, he was, this is the first time he's hearing about anything about retiring early, quote, unquote. And so it was a surprise to him. But over some time, over a couple months after sitting down and working through some stuff, he got on board and we just started to take advantage of all the investment opportunities that we have available to us which is kind of like what got us started. I mean, you, you, that's very lucky for you to uh, have, because the biggest <laughs> reason for divorce is probably finance in most cases. Right. And say, all right, well, here, I, I want to do something different. I want to save, invest. I want to be financially independent. Um, you have to get both people on board, I would imagine. If he's a spender and you're saving, that would have probably blew you up. Yeah, and you know, we're, I was lucky enough to where he's not a crazy, crazy spender. Now, he is not necessarily um, the most frugal person either, and neither am I. But I would say for him, you know, what I really needed him on board because he's a teacher. And um, I realized after, like, learning about all the instruments people were using to retire early that he, my, my husband, had access to a um, two pre-tax retirement accounts. And so as a teacher, he had access to the 457 account and then his 403B plan. And I, I knew that if like we were going to be able to save aggressively, like we would need to invest as much in those accounts as possible. And so one of the things, one of the key things I asked him when we started talking about it was what would it take for you to have a good life now? And then what would a good life look like? And what would it take to, you know, for it to look like when you retire um, or, you know, when you're 55. And so I think phrasing the conversation in that way um, helped because I wasn't like suggesting that we, you know, become totally frugal and strip away everything that he loved. I was just saying, let's be more intentional about how we save, invest, and spend our money and figure out how we can have the best of both worlds, how we can still enjoy today, but set ourselves up for a really good tomorrow. And another key thing that I did is, so, you know, for us, it was more important that I, I realized that he also needed to be involved and dedicated to the journey. And I feel like because, like, you know, things like cable, we still have cable. I would love to get rid of that. But he loves it. So, you know, we keep it. And there's just certain things that I make sure that I'm just listening to him and I'm making sure that I am also, it's not just about what I want um, on this financial journey. It's like, okay, how can I make sure that he's also content too? Hey, I, I've got a question because I'm, I'm thinking about you're in your 30s, early 30s, and uh, you've got a baby uh, on the way, uh, or maybe the baby's already born, and, and you're living in New York City, which is a high-cost area, and you go from saving very little to 80-plus thousand per year. I, I just don't what, – how did you do that? I get why you did it, but how? How did you do that? Right. So, you know, it's important to note that my husband and I combined have – you know, decent salaries for living in New York. That's about half our income. Right. And so what the, what really happened was because we started funneling 
everything pre-tax. So we started to work on investing the maximum in his two accounts and then the maximum in my 401k. So before we even saw our check, the money came out. And then it was up to us to budget what was left. And so we started budgeting. And then any extra money, so as a teacher, um, my husband also works extra jobs. Like he does, you know, he does morning school, he does night school, he coaches. So he um, was getting extra income on the side, and we would just dedicate that income to saving and investing. And then I work in corporate America. I get bonuses on top of my salary. So we just dedicated, like, the extra money to our Roth IRAs and our investing accounts. So it really was a fact of automating it, you know, putting the maximum amount away, budgeting what was left and making the investment and savings goals a priority and then cutting back on the things that we were spending on that we just didn't need. Like we had gotten rid of more expensive vehicles and just got more economical vehicles. We started to watch how much we were going out to eat. And so we still had a, and we enjoy that. So we still had a line item for restaurants and, you know, enjoying life, but it definitely wasn't as much as what we were spending before. So I heard a couple of things that I think are really good concepts. One is is automatically saving, and you were in a, your husband had a couple of retirement plans. So between the between the two of you, you could put away about fifty four thousand dollars just right there. So that's fantastic. But then it also sounds like you were pretty intentional with the rest of your dollars coming in. I think that a lot of people have no idea where they're spending their money, and it just slips away. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's and I, that's what was happening. Because if I, if you were to tell me, okay, so where was it being? Let's take the taxes out where were maybe that where was that extra 50 or 60 thousand dollars going before and, and i really honestly I, like I mean, we had other expenses obviously and but i couldn't tell you exactly where it went which seems crazy but um i just think we were just not being intentional and and just that switch just that investing first making it a priority really allowed us to get aggressive and start reaching our goals so you you do a lot of podcasts. What what are some of the um, the questions that your that your podcast listeners are are requesting? What what are the topics that they want to know about? Yeah, so you know it's interesting because I feel like I have a wide. I call my um the people who listen to my stuff are like my content journeyers as like a play on journey to launch, and I and I come to find that I get journeyers at different points on the journey. And so some people are just starting, like they didn't even know that this was possible. And when I say like retire early, it doesn't mean that I'm going to retire and do nothing. It just means I just don't want to depend on a corporate paycheck. I just want to be financially independent and do the things I love. And so when I talk like that and, you know, people realize that it's possible, like there are people out in the real world doing this, they're interested, but then they have a lot of other things they need to get over because they have debt or, um, mental um, blocks. So some of it is like basic stuff that they want to understand how to overcome so they can start working to growing wealth and investing. And then some of it is just the, you know, um, logistical. They just want, they just want the inspirational stories of, okay, like give me examples of couples doing this. Give me examples of maybe, you know, you and your husband live in New York, you know, you earn a decent amount. Give me an example of someone who's not earning that much and and being able to do that. So I, they, they tend to ask like for more examples and just strategic ways, like step-by-step ways in which they can reach it too. Hey, I got a just off the wall question. Does your employer know that you have this journey to launch and leave the corporate life? 
been like, hey, I hate this life. I am doing everything I possibly can to get the hell out of this job, and I'm blogging, and I'm very <laughs> popular on the airwaves? <laughs> well, this is actually a very funny question. Um, so, no, I do not go around in my job now um, talking about this. But right. I'm also very careful to be respectful because at the end of the day, it's not that I hate my job and it's not like it's a horrible place. Like this, this job has allowed me to do what I do, um, you know, and, um, you know, so I'm very I, I, I'm mindful in the way I frame it because I am very blessed and lucky to have worked my way up. You know, I've been working in corporate America since I graduated at 22. I'm 35 now. And so, you know, the reasons why I was able to buy, you know, my condo when I was 22 was in part because I interned at this job and was got paid to do it and saved that money to buy it. And the reason why I'm able to save as much is because of this job, because of the income. And so, you know, I'm not like I try not to be disrespectful in the way I talk about it. Um, and so, no, the answer is no, I don't talk about it much but um, here, but. You know, I don't think anyone, if anyone Googled me from here, they would find it. But I don't think anyone has done that yet. <laughs> All right. So you're not hiding it, but you're not, it's not, you're not broadcasting it. No, I'm not hiding it. Though. You, you, I mean, you don't wear a t-shirt saying, you know, yeah. journey, to, journey to lunch. <laughs> journey to lunch. <laughs> Check me out. Yeah. Because I'm out of here. I, I want more subscribers. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I had a piece that ran on CBS um, and a couple people saw me on it, but it wasn't talking about turning to launch. It was just more of my saving story. And so a couple of people at my job said, hey, I think I saw you on TV. And I'm like, you did? <laughs> you know, really? <laughs> but it was, it was funny. But, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a delicate, like, situation. But, um, again, I try to be um, very careful about kind of how I frame it and talk about it. Any uh, final thoughts before we wrap up here? You know, I would say that my mission or my goal is to bring financial independence, financial freedom to the masses, bring it to a wider audience, um, let people know that it is possible. And, you know, it might not, it's not going to happen overnight. Um, you know, it all depends on your starting point and how much debt you have and how much things you need to overcome. But it is possible. And it's one of the things that I wish I would have known in my 20s that it was possible because I would have started saving and investing and being more intentional back then. But it's never too late to start. And so I would just say, you know, if this interests you, if you're, you know, wanting to understand it more or you think that you're unhappy maybe with what you're doing and you think there's more to life, that there is more to life. And um, you can do that by really being intentional and strategic with your finances. And so how can people find out about you? Well, you can go to journeytolaunch.com, and from there you find uh, my podcast and my blog. I'm on all social media as Journey to Launch, so that's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and the podcast. So Journey to Launch, the podcast, you can find it on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you listen to podcasts on Android phones, any Android app that downloads podcasts on YouTube. So, I mean, essentially everywhere. <laughs> uh, Jamila, it was awesome to, to talk to you, you know, I, I think a lot of times people um, sometimes feel a, a sense of helplessness, right? It's like, man, I, I, I can't save a dime. I can't. And, and with what you're doing, you kind of get both sides. You, you, you give the inspiration to say, yes, you can. And, you know, all you have to do is, is, is do a little bit of planning. And then also on the other side, for people that have the, uh, the means or potentially to save, um, you, you get them motivated even to take it another step further. 
Um, that there's a lack of information and education out there when it comes to financial independence or, or, or just, um, you know, good savings habits. So uh, uh, we really appreciate what you're doing. Um, and so uh, hats off to you. Thanks so much. Hear more great interviews that will inspire your financial journey at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Subscribe to the podcast, get our podcast newsletter, watch clips and full episodes of the Your Money, Your Wealth TV show, and take advantage of a huge learning center full of webinars, articles, white papers, and much more. It's all available at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Time now for Big Al's List. Every week, Big Al Clopine scours the media to find the best tips, do's and don'ts, mistakes, myths, and advice to improve your overall financial financial picture in handy bullet point format this week financial planning tips for young investors this is something I found in Newsmax by Richard Paul okay and you gotta love people that have two I know two I was just names. gonna say Richard that. Paul because you never know whether to call him Paul or hey, Richard Richard Paul Richard Paul so, but I thought this was kind of good. So for our younger listeners, um, or even our older listeners that haven't yet started. Sure. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, I think anyone can, uh, can get something out of this. The first one is to automate your contributions. Uh, and uh, the second point in this title is use index funds. The easiest way to invest is to automatically direct a portion each paycheck into your investment accounts. Clearly, Joe, that works best when your company has a 401k or a 403b, because then it's out of sight, out of mind. You don't even get it. You know, a lot of us now get direct deposits in our in our checking account, and so it goes first to the 401k, and you don't even see it, so you don't even think about it. Right. Right. Uh, Yeah, that's key. It's so key. Just pay yourself first. You have to do it. You you know, the younger you are, I mean, it's not going to be a lot of money. A couple hundred bucks. Right. You know. And then as you feel more comfortable, then just kind of keep socking more away. Yeah, and I think that's the key. I think a lot of people that I've talked to, they they don't get started because they, they think, well, what I'm doing is so minimal, it doesn't make any right. difference. I don't care if it's $25 a month. You get started and then... You have at, to create that habit. Right, it's the habit. I think that's well said. And then the, and then next year you get a little raise. And so, okay, let's make it $75 instead of 25 And then, then you get a bonus. Oh, let's put a couple thousand dollars of that bonus in or whatever. And then next year, okay, let's do $150. Right. And the next thing you know... Because it, it, it gets a little discouraging at first because you're looking at your statements and there's nothing in it, right? Right. But these, but it starts snowballing after a while, and and you just have to have faith that if you keep doing this and you keep adding more and more to it, you'll be so glad you did when you get to your fifties and sixties. Well, I think to take that uh, a step further is if people would do a simple exercise first and say, "All right, well, I'm going to retire at some point." You know, if you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, I don't care how old you are. You say, all right, well, I want to maintain a certain level of lifestyle. If you're in your 20s, you probably have no clue, but it's still a good exercise to go through, right? You might be making 50 grand a year, and then you're like, hey, this is decent. I want to, I, I don't want to go down. So you look at, all right, well, if I want to maintain this lifestyle, but I'm not going to retire for another 30, 40 years, right. you take the 50,000. If you can get a financial calculator, you could go online for a future value calculation. Right. Maybe you use a, a, a 3% inflation rate, maybe a little bit higher, a little bit lower, depending on what you feel. We believe three, three and a half is a pretty good number, fairly conservative. Mm-hmm. And then you say this $50,000 in 30 years is X. I don't know what it is, 200000 yeah. bucks, or, or 100 or 125 or right. whatever. Yeah, in other words, you're going to have to spend more in the future to pay for what 50000 would pay for today. Right, and then you just kind of back it out. And say, all right, well, how much money do I need to save 
to make sure that I can provide myself that same level of lifestyle. Right. And then you will receive a number. Maybe you need to save $500 a month, $1,000 a month. But you can't save that $1,000 a month right now or $500 a yeah, month. Yeah, and so then you give up. Oh, yeah, but at least you know what the number is. So you start with 100 but you're saying, you know, you can tell yourself, mm-hmm. you know what, I got to get to that 500 I got to get to I that 500 I got to get there as soon as I can. I can't do it now. I can't do it now. Because I'm, I'm paying off my credit cards. Right, I, student I'm, loans. I'm saving for like... a down payment for home or whatever it is. But I, th- I think um, I, I'm a firm believer in that too, Joe, which is you, you want to look at all your goals and be working towards all of them at once. I, I think when you just, all you do is pay off your student loan and credit card debt, and then 20 years later, you haven't saved a dime for retirement. I don't, I don't think that's a great exercise, right. particularly when you have a 401k and your employer's matching it. That's, that's free money. Right. Or you, we see a lot with, with people in their 50s and 60s are throwing a ton of money at their mortgage. But they're not saving anything else. Right. And then they retire and they've and then, got a paid off mortgage and no income. N- no income. So, and so it's like, okay, now I got to sell it. I got to sell the house so I can have some money. Right. <laughs> yeah. Number two, Joe, is to tax diversify. So uh, particularly, Joe, when you're entering the workforce and maybe your salary is lower when you're starting out than later on. Uh, and so you might want to look at Roth IRA contributions, Roth uh, 401ks if your employer has one. But the, the thing about a Roth IRA is you don't get a tax deduction, but that money goes in and it grows tax-free, meaning that when you pull it out in retirement for your retirement bills, there you don't pay any taxes on that. You contrast that with a regular IRA or a regular 401k. Yes, you get a tax deduction today, but when you pull those dollars out in the future, they're all 100% taxable. So it's, it's actually good to have some of both. But when you're younger and in lower tax brackets, those tax deductions aren't as significant for you. Make sure you, you, you load up on some of that Roth IRA. You know, I would like to pull our clients and say, if you could go back in time, right? And if you could change anything about your savings, besides increasing the amount of savings that you've, you know, you know, we go back in time. Yeah, I wish I would have saved a little bit more. Yeah. But life is life, right? Yeah. But if, if they would go back in time and say, if I would have done something a little bit differently, you know, what, what would they do? Right. And I would believe, and I'm just guessing here, yeah. that a lot of them would say, you know what, I would have been more diversified in my taxes. Right. Because all they have is a large sum of money. But everything is in the retirement account. Yeah. So 401ks, yeah. IRAs, everything that's going to come to them as income is going to be taxed at ordinary income rates. Right. And if they want to keep that same lifestyle, they're in the same tax bracket. Yeah, very well could be. And in some cases, we see people in higher, higher brackets, brackets because they they have Social Security. Maybe they have pensions and maybe they did a good job saving. And now their required minimum distributions push them into higher brackets. And those are folks that uh, desperately would prefer or would have liked to have some tax diversification. Right. So I would look at it like this is say, all right, well, if I have a 401k plan and if I do not have a Roth option in the 401k plan, save into the 401k plan to the match. All right. So you get the free money. That's just a no brainer. And then from there, I would start filling up my Roth IRA. If I'm married, you know, have the spouse fill up hers. So she does the same thing or he does the same thing. And then fill up the Roths. And if you still save some more money, then go back to the 401k. Then try to max the 401k out or whatever uh, defined contribution plan that you have. Mm -hmm. And then take it another step further after that. Then say, all right, well, what tax bracket am I in now? And do I have room to maybe convert some of those dollars into a Roth IRA? Maybe it's a little amount, but then you're still building that Roth. You're still building your tax deferred accounts, but you're getting a lot more balance. 
Right. Because if you just fast forward, let's say if you're going to retire in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, whatever, and if you have a little bit more balance, you have money in a tax-deferred account, you have money in a tax-free account, then you can control your taxes a lot better in retirement. Because I'm I'm only going to pull out of my 401k because that's taxed at ordinary income to a certain tax bracket. But I still want more income, so I'm going to pull that from the Roth IRA. Right. So I'm living in a higher tax bracket, but I'm staying in a low bracket world because I've diversified throughout my savings career. Yes, and in order to do that, as you say, you need to get money to a Roth IRA. And I got to say, Joe, that we may be in our lifetimes the best time to consider a Roth Absolutely, because without the, question. Because the tax rates are very low right now, and and we just we don't know how long these are going to be here. But right now, we've got a twelve percent tax bracket for single taxpayers. It goes up to almost seventy eight thousand dollars of taxable income. For married taxpayers, it's about $38,000. And so, in other words, if your combined salaries minus your standard deduction is lower than those amounts, you're in a very low tax bracket. It would make a lot of sense for you to be converting some of your dollars into a Roth. Right, because if you think of it, just last year, the 15% tax bracket moved to 12. We had a 25% tax bracket. That moved to 22. Right. Right? That's right. The 28% tax bracket moved to 24. Right. We were converting, it was almost like a no brainer to, to convert to the top of the 25 for a lot of people. For a lot of people, that's right. Right? And, so and, now, if you convert to the top of the, let's say, the 24, because the, it's it, it's due to sunset in 2025. Right. Right? So then you're looking at, all right, well, what are the tax rates? What tax bracket am I in? Right? And if it reverts back to where it was last year in 2025, well, you have a phenomenal opportunity to really start getting a lot of money into Roth IRAs that, that Alan, I believe, is a, is a very cheap tax rate. Southern California, whether you're planning for an early retirement or taking the traditional route, preparing for a successful retirement requires a little more than listening to your money, your wealth. How will you manage market volatility and risk? And what will be your sources of retirement income? Our two-day retirement courses and our free monthly Lunch and Learn events can give you the tools and confidence you need to help you plan for the retirement you've always dreamed of. For dates, times, and locations for our Lunch and Learn events and our retirement classes in San Diego, Orange County, or Los Angeles, visit the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com or call 888-994-6257. We're counting down... Uh, some 10 rules to save better when you're younger. Ten, 10 financial planning tips for younger investors. Got it. Next one is take control of your health. Yes. Because because we, all you're going to do when you retire is smoke and drink and watch TV. It's true, though. I mean, exercise and diet. And Joe, you exercise like every day, right? I do. Even all, seven days a week? Uh, you take in, one day off? No. Do I take what? what one, one day no, off exercising? Not usually not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there you go. You're going to live to 120. I'm going to try because Rick I'm going to be says. smoking cigars and drinking <laughs> and watching TV and working out. Related to that, Joe, is if you've got a HSA, health savings account, um, yeah, but yeah, you're with an employer that, or you have your own health savings, uh, health insurance. If you want, you want to put money into this account because couple, it's three things happen. One, one is you get a tax deduction up to certain levels. Two is the money grows tax free. free. Right, not tax deferred, tax free, and and number three is you can use it for qualified metal expenses and still pay no tax on right. it. So yeah, I guess it grows tax deferred and tax. So it's the triple whammy. It's the triple whammy. Is pre tax, right. tax deferred, tax free coming out. That's right. That's right. And I thought I had those levels, but it's it's about give or take. It's around thirty four hundred for single and about sixty six hundred for married, give or take. In that in that range is the total you can do per year. 
Next thing I want to bring up, Joe, is um, get out of debt. Get out of debt. Snowball. Boy. Snowball. <laughs> yeah. So here's the stats. The average American under age 35 has between 23000 and 30000 of debt from credit cards, student loans, auto loans, and other forms of personal debt. That's tough. That's tough because a lot of these, particularly credit cards, can be 15% interest rate. 18% interest rate, whatever they may be. So that would tell us then that the average American family is making over $1,000 a year just in interest payments. Right. And it's tough because one of, a close friend of mine, he's into all sorts of different businesses, right? He's got He's the idea guy. So he came up with this idea, put $100,000 into it, flop, yeah. right? Another right. idea, oh, this is going to kill it this time and does it, yeah. right? And so he's racked up. Um, a little bit of debt, you know, um, probably more than he wants. And, you know, when you get in your 40s, it's like, okay, well, what the hell here? Right. What you happened? Know, all, all my great ideas that I thought I was going to be a millionaire didn't come through. And so I, I got this debt. I, you know, now he's got a couple kids and, right. And so I was like, well, you got to snowball it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like snowball. So I, what, what are you talking about? What the hell are you talking about? Right. I was like, all right, well, here, this is, we could be Dave Ramsey for a minute here. <laughs> we sure can. <laughs> Because that's what he likes. So you take a list of all of your debt, and there's two ways. There's the avalanche Mm -hmm. and the snowball. Right. And I get those two confused, but I think the snowball is this. So I take a look. I list all of my debt out. So I got credit card debt. I got a car loan. I got a heel, whatever. Yeah. But you do it with the lowest debt um, balance. um, balance. That's correct. And to the the largest debt balance. So you pay off the debt that has the lowest balance. So So even though it's 22%, but maybe it's only $2,000. Right. My next debt is $5,000 and I'm paying 6%. My next debt um, is $10,000. And it doesn't matter what the interest rate is, just name the the lowest balance first. Yeah. Because as soon as you start paying some of these bills or credit cards or whatever off, it motivates you to get excited about paying off your debt. Yeah, that's right. And the way this works, like let's say your minimum payment on the first one is $100 and you can you can afford another $100. So you put it towards that lowest debt. And as soon as you get that paid off, now you have another $200 that you can apply to the next debt. And then maybe that's $300 a month and you get that paid off and then you can apply $500 a month on the next bill. The snowball is, it's really good for your um, emotions. I, I think that that's, that's the, that's, and that's probably one of the most important things here, right. because if you're seeing progress, you're going to keep doing it. Well, I mean, I think it's anything with the, with the well thought out financial plan is we get this question, Hey, should I pay off my debt or, you know, or, or should I you know pay off my mortgage or not? Yeah. Right. Well, financially, if you ran the numbers, it probably makes sense not to pay it off, but emotionally, it's going to make better yes. sense, yeah. right? Yeah. And so it, you're going to do what you feel is right, because if if, yeah. if you're not doing what you feel comfortable with or that you still have anxiety about, right. you're, it, it's why do it? Yeah. Just do what you feel comfortable with and, as long as it's logical. And, yeah, and we are emotional beings. That that debt avalanche just simply means you pay off the debt with the highest interest rate. Which, that's more of the CPA which, role. That's or, what that's what I probably do, because right. I'm a CPA. But um, Although maybe not. I, I, I really think, I, I kind of like the snowball method myself, sure. just because... You feel it's some early wins, right, right? Right, right. It's like you have four four credit card bills, and now you got three, and then like you two, got two, and then all of a sudden it's gone, right? right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like you know, taught him the snowball. He goes, man, because my snowball is like slush. I can't, <laughs> he can't. I got nothing. I'm trying to make a snowball. It's just water. Well, related to that is the next tip: is live within your means, and that's that's. 
kind of an obvious statement, right? But um, the truth is most Americans are not doing that. No. It's amazing. And that's why we're incurring all this debt. Now, now I get it when you're younger because you've got, you've got student debt. I mean, in many cases, you needed to incur that debt to get your college degree. I understand that. But uh, you then want to get that debt paid off. And for those that are really not living within their means, the only way you can do that uh, is by borrowing. And typically that's on a credit card. And or you're just spending every last dime. Yeah, well, that's that that happens too. And then then you're in either case, neither of those two cases, you're not saving anything for right. for the future. Well, I think we went through some of those stats. Is that half the people in the population, you know, whatever? Who I don't know how many people they pulled, but <laughs> they, they surveyed five people. They, they did you and me, and <laughs> half yeah. half run track. Yeah, half for track and half for not. <laughs> Uh, but you know, there's a lot of people that if they had a thousand dollar emergency, you know, that would blow them up. Right. Yeah. Right. So. Oh, that's exactly right. Uh, here's this is an interesting one, Joe. The next one is don't buy buy your company's stock. Oh. What do you think of that? Well, I don't know. My hundred percent of my net worth is in my company's stock. <laughs> Maybe that's not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, it's illiquid. Being an employee does not give you an edge, and it never will unless your title begins with a C. CEO, CFO, COO. I don't have that in my title. I got a P. Your starts with a P. That's that's pretty close, (laughs) President. (laughs) Okay, well, there's two rules of thumb. Not rules of thumb, I guess. I don't know. Some thoughts, I guess I have. Are there rules of thumb, according to Joe? (laughs) Oh, uh, you know, do you ever say things yeah, that it, as soon as it comes out of your late. mouth, it's just like, God, you're just so stupid. Of course. Uh, um, yeah, it's, well, you and I talk for two hours. It's bound to happen multiple, multiple times. times. <laughs> multiple times. But let's say that I am working for a large corporation right. and they have company stock. Right. I might have restricted stock. I might have um, stock options. And where we see this is that someone might load up a little bit too much on company stock. So I'm working for a Fortune 500 company. I have company stock. All right, so they match me the company stock. And then, hey, I might, you know, I'm working my way up the chain. And as bonuses, they're go, they're, they might give me shares of stock. Right. And my entire net worth is all tied up within this Fortune 500 company. I could see where, you know, that's a little rich. Yes. Okay. Because A... You know, your paycheck is coming from that company. Yes. And your 401k is now loaded up in that company. And all your shares of stock and your everything stock else is stock. It, so, and so if something happens with that company, you're, you're sunk. Right. Because that, you lose your job, you don't have an income. Right. And that, right? The stock yeah. price goes down, right? Yeah. Your 401k is shot. Right. And then your, your, um, what you thought you were going to be a millionaire on your stock options are now all underwater. Right. So, right. yes, I could see to and, and that think, extent. And I think that's where that point came from. Well, that's Enron. Yeah. Right. Right. It's like, okay, well, Enron, Enron, you know, and all those poor people that lost everything because yeah. a lot of their 401k, and people still get confused here. The, the 401k didn't blow up. It was what was inside their 401k that blew up. Yeah. And if they had all Enron stock, then their 401k is now worth nothing. Right. And a lot of those individuals did. Yeah. And in fact, I think what I heard in different documentaries is, is people were not only encouraged to buy Enron, it was it was somewhat of a loyalty thing, right? That you had to buy Enron, otherwise you're not a company man or woman. You got right? it. 
Right, you're not invested in the company stock. Yeah, that's so. What, what are you looking for? Another job? What are you, what are you thinking? <laughs> right. I mean, this is the well, best. Well, if you don't like, if world. you don't like the stock, then you, I guess, you don't like your job. <laughs> so, and so I do believe there was some some of that pressure, probably there. All right, so that's one aspect of it. A second aspect of it is that no, I I would encourage some of you if you have a 401k plan. In a, I work for a Fortune 500 company. It's okay to have some company stock within the 401k plan because there's some tax advantages of having that company stock within the 401k plan. Right, right. There's something that's called net unrealized appreciation, where you can take the company stock outside of the 401k plan. You pay ordinary income on the basis of whatever you purchased it or whatever the stock price was when the stock was purchased. And if you have highly appreciated stock within the 401k plan, you move it out, pay a little bit of tax to do it, but then all of that future or all that growth is now taxed at a capital gains rate. It could be a cool tax strategy, right? Uh, but I think people get overconfident within their own company. Yeah, I think so too. It's like, well, I, I know. Um, because I'm working here and we're doing great things. And well, the analysts say it's doing this, but we really believe that it's going to, you know, be a, you know, 40% per year stock. Another thing, Joe, is, is when, uh, you work for a company that's small and the, and the, and you believe the prospects for the future look good. And when it's a, when it's a newer startup or a smaller company, first of all, there's a lot of risk. So I'm not saying you go all in. But if you can get into a company when it's small enough and when the cost of the shares are low enough where you actually don't even have to invest that much, then that can be a great way to go. People that uh, were part of Qualcomm in the early days ended up making a fortune. Yeah, I play golf with um, one of the early founders of Qualcomm's kids. Okay, yeah. And, um, yeah, they're not hurting. Yeah, no, they're not hurting at yeah. all. And, but, and, and, but then here's, here's where I think the movement is going, too, is that... Um, we, people want equity, right? Sure. And so we're a private company, a pure financial yeah. advisors. Yeah. Al and I both have equity within our company, right? Um, and that's a large component of our net worth. That's right. Right? Um, and you look at, okay, well, th- then you're a little bit more tied. And we want our employees, you know, potentially to, hey, if you would like to have some company stock. And m- most of them want a lot more than what they have. Right. And it just kind of ties them into the productivity of the overall firm. It does. It, they, they become owners. We have a stock option plan. And, and so they feel more like owners. And when they're acting more like owners, they pay more attention to their job and, and other things around to make sure things are running efficiently. Right. And, and then you have people that maybe are in one department and they get an idea for another department and, and there's, there's more coordination and, and things run a lot better. So if Bill Gates sold his Microsoft shares, do you think he'd be the richest man in the world? Right. No. <laughs> right. That's right. So, and it, you know, I think you said this is that all right. Well, some of the richest people that you've ever met were small business owners, but right. then also some of the poorest people that you've ever met it, are it what goes, small it business goes, owners. It goes both ways. So, so if you're if you're working in a small business and you feel good about the prospects, yeah, by all means, uh, own some company stock, uh, but just make sure it's not hundred percent of of you know. In other words, you got to have a side plan. I think uh, some of Robert Kiyosaki's early books, they, they did a good job explaining that. It's like, you're not going to probably become really wealthy on saving $25 a month into your 401k. On the other hand, you want to have that at least, in, in, if you're planning on making it big with a small business or real estate, you got to have a backup plan because there's no guarantees that's going to work out. Right. And a lot of our clients that are wealthy 
um, had a, a decent equity stake within their overall organization. That's right. It was smaller at the time when they started, and they, they took on the risk to join a small company. Right. Um, and then being able to build that smaller company into a larger company. Right. Um, you know, so, but, you know, if you take the risk and you're saying, hey, I'm going to take a lot lesser income, I got kids, and but I have a bigger chunk of equity, um, and if that company doesn't necessarily perform, because most companies, small companies, fail. On um, yeah, that's correct. Right, that's right. And so if you're, so you just have to identify the with any investment, of course, you have to identify risk and expected return are related. And the more risk, right, that means more risk means the likelihood of you losing everything is high. That's right. They are related, Joe, and and that's why we, that's what we we're talking about. If you're with a startup company when it's small. Your opportunity is the greatest, but your risk is the greatest too. Right. So I, I wouldn't, I, and I agree with what your your premise is: is don't take this statement at face value. Don't buy your company stock because there's many cases where you would want to. Just be careful about it, right? Because uh, we have seen this. We've seen people all in with their company stock. It well, was what their, about your neighbor? Right? Yes. Did she have a net worth of like over ten million dollars, and then maybe yeah. a year later went to almost yeah, what, a couple I hundred did, grand? I did. I did know somebody that had a multi-million dollar net worth, and oh, it was and that, all in in one company. Right. Correct. And uh, then that company um, hit hard times with the dot com bust, and it was gone. Right. And so, yeah, it's it's right. and and, it, and as a consequence, what I tell people nowadays is uh, if you've got stock options or you've got some equity in your company and it becomes a meaningful amount to you, maybe you should take at least some off the table. Right. And a good exercise. And I think a lot of good advisors talk about this is that if you have a highly concentrated position in a stock right, and it's made you a lot of money. Um, and you're like, all right, like my grandmother, for instance, my grandfather worked for GE for 40 years, right? And so they had a GE pension, they had GE stock, and that's all they had was GE, right? right? Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, what happens to GE? Well, nothing will happen to GE. Right. You know what I mean? It was like almost sacrilegious to say anything bad about it because it put food on the table, it provided a retirement and everything else. But if they would have diversified a little bit, right, because they had a meaningful amount, and that meaningful sure. amount is it, it, it lost a ton of dough. It, it did, and you think about and it. But then that's the emotional side. It's really difficult to let go. It is. Yeah, I mean, it, and it's it's true. I mean, if you look at the lifespan of companies, it's not necessarily forever. Just look at Kodak a couple of decades ago. Who would Kodak's have thought, coming back. Who would have thought? Yeah, Kodak. Blockbuster's coming back too, bro. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Blockbuster. I yeah. want to get in my car. And drive to rent a VHS tape. Now you can, just, you can just rent it online. Who doesn't want to do that? <laughs> right. You got other errands to run. That's right. That's right. So anyway, uh, it's uh, it's it's important if you have an opportunity to buy company stock. I wouldn't just completely discount it. I would just be careful with it. And Joe, another item here on the list is is um, buy into panic, not excitement. And I think um, I That's think Warren Buffett. Yeah, They're right. Just stealing Warren Buffett's quote and using different words. Yeah, that's exactly right. That is, and and actually, he to paraphrase Warren Buffett, he said something like, um, "Don't market time, stay invested. But if you have to market time, buy when there's blood in the streets and sell when there is a lot of excitement." <laughs> now, I, I really, I really hose that, but that's that was the essence. Of oh what my he god! Said. I thought you were gonna nail it, and then all of a sudden, what I, the I went blood? Up, and, I, went, I went. I went off the rails. 
What did he say? What did he say? When people are fearful. Oh, yeah, that's right. (laughs) I remember now. (laughs) Now that you say it. But what did this person say? Buy Uh, when they're panicked? Buy into panic, not excitement. Okay. So... so if you listen to our, our show, you'll know that Joe and I are big believers in staying invested, not making these big, you know, all in, all out, all in, all out, which is market timing. However, I think there's some truth in that. And, and the way that we do this is what's called rebalancing. So you have some stocks more aggressive. You have some safe stuff bonds. And when the stocks go down, the bonds either go up a little bit or down a little bit, but they're They've, they're holding their value relative to the stocks. So now you're underweighted in stocks, and so you take some of the bonds, you buy some of the stocks when they're down, which forces you to buy when it's they're lower. And your your emotions, want, you want to do the opposite, Joe, because everyone wants to buy when the market is going gangbusters, which means you're buying high, and everyone wants to sell when the market crashes. And right. so you're, you're buying high and selling low. It is uh, be greedy when people are fearful. Oh, yeah. Be fearful when people are greedy. See, you've got quite a memory. It it came full circle. All right, that's it for us today. Thanks for listening. For Big Al Clopine, I'm Joe Anderson. The show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. We'll see you next time. So to recap today's show, rising interest rates aren't necessarily a bad thing for your bonds, and buying company stock isn't necessarily a bad thing either. It all depends on your strategy. The most important thing is to make sure you've got one. Special thanks to our guest, Jamila Soufran. Learn more about her blog, her podcast, and her journey to launch at journeytolaunch.com. Subscribe to the podcast at yourmoneyyourwealth.com through your favorite podcatcher or on Apple Podcasts, where you can also check out our ratings and reviews. And remember, if you've got a burning money question for Joe and Big Al to answer on Your Money, Your Wealth, just email info at purefinancial.com or call 888-994-6257. Stay tuned for more Your Money, Your Wealth presented by Pure Financial Advisors. For your free financial assessment, visit purefinancial.com. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. 